Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by the Digital Marketing Institute. This episode is a big Q&A where we explore an area of marketing through a leading industry expert. I'm your host, Will Francis, and today I'll be talking to James Williamson, owner of specialist e-commerce and digital marketing agency 8Dial, who are based in London. It was after James's first business was forced online by his furniture shop losing its premises that James adopted the tools of e-commerce. Fast forward a decade and he's now helping some of the most sought after luxury brands in the UK and Ireland take their online shops to the next level. So let's hear all about how he does that. Welcome to the podcast, James. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Good. Yeah, no, we're excited to have you because you've got a really interesting business an interesting story and you know you know how e-commerce works and that's something a lot of our listeners really want to get um some info on so we'll get into the detail of all that how you build and market these e-commerce stores just tell us in your own words first a little bit about what you do and how you got there so uh, not your traditional career path um into e-commerce i had a furniture company where i used to buy a store and sell vintage and antiques for a number of years and unfortunately got kicked out of the warehouse where my shop was and had to put everything online and that's where I much you know that was the fun bit it was the thing that I enjoyed doing I absolutely loved building the website and the photography and and learning on the job more and more about digital marketing and paid advertising and, and getting it wrong and then getting it right it's yeah really really good fun um so when I, I wrapped up the furniture company, once I stole, sold all the stock, which took about a year, um, and took a job in a, a luxury or high-end interiors firm in London called Heels, which is based on Tottenham Court Road. And I worked there in a couple of different e-commerce roles and ended up being the brand marketing manager. So managing all of the, any, anything that you saw on the internet, basically for Heels, um, which is yeah, 200 year old British heritage brand. Um, and then was there for, I think it was five years, six years, and then set up Eighth Dial, which um, was based, we couldn't think of a business name. And uh, my first office was in Covent Garden on Seven Dials in Earlham Street. So I was just being lazy, I think, and just chose Eighth Dial. People were trying to convince me to use uh, apprentice sounding excelsior marketing and all these other sort of butch powerful names but nothing really sat right to be honest so that's where the name comes from that's great and what sort of brands do you work with predominantly so we work a lot with um small to medium-sized predominantly independent or have been independent then been bought out um during our time working with them luxury goods so slightly higher price points something that's more of an investment rather than um, just your consumables and that sort of thing. So we work with everything from um, vineyards. We have a florist um, chain. We've got uh, Beavertown Brewery, who have obviously been bought out. I suppose they're maybe not quite luxury, but are you know uh, are more sort of expensive than um, your standard drinks. Um, and then we work with design firms, um, boutiques, and yeah, sort of a bit of a mix in between. It seems that Shopify has come to dominate e-commerce in recent years, and it's become the main part of what you do at Eighth Dial. Um, you know, building, optimizing, um, and marketing Shopify-based shops. Why does that platform dominate? Do you think today? Uh, there's a number of different reasons I see for Shopify having the success that it's had, and it has been a big success. 
Um, it, it's enabled people to come to market a lot easier and it's it's allowed people to have this sort of tool that's relatively straightforward to use from a, a basic perspective. But then when you scale up, there's a lot more, you know, interesting, fun things that you can do to enhance the user journey and and and, and basically increase the performance of the site across the board from, you know, how people sign up to an email or split testing different landing pages or whichever uh, aspect of it that you're looking into, um, looking to improve. So I think from a starting out perspective, it seems to be one of the more simple self-manageable options. When you look at the back end of some of the other, you know, if you're using WordPress or Magento, you often have to know a little bit of code to be able to change things like images or banners or, or anything else. With Shopify, you can just drag the item to where you want it to be. Um, and, you know, the, it's placed as you expect. Um, there's no messing around. And that's, so for us, when I hadn't used Shopify until uh, we had, I think, three clients at the time. And one was on WordPress, one was on Magento, or two were on WordPress, one was on Magento. And then we, we got a fourth client who was on Shopify. And it was like having my eyes open because we were spending so much time either fixing glitch, you know, there'd be like, one browser, you know, one customer's had one problem on a strange shaped phone and you're spending hours trying to work out where the problems lie and, and correct things. Whereas with Shopify, it was, it just worked. And it meant that you could just work on improvements. You could work on the customer journey, everything else. And rather than having to worry about, you know, tweaking bits of code, um, which is another big, big benefit. You don't have to rely on developers a lot of the time in the, in the start, at least anyway. Yeah, that's a really good point, isn't it? I mean, like a lot of things, like a lot of the good things in life, I suppose, Shopify, it's easy to start, but it's it's hard to master. So there's a very shallow learning curve initially. And then there is that more advanced stuff if you want to take it to the next level. And that's where it can get complicated. But uh, like you say, it's easy to kind of get something good online relatively quickly. But I'm what I'm really interested in, in getting into the detail of with you is like, so when people have started up their own Shopify store, and things are going reasonably well, they obviously hit some sort of kind of ceiling with it. And what is that point at which people come to you and they're uh, looking for more? Um, and and how, you know, what are the most common kind of quick wins that you find yourselves implementing on those sites? What happens is when people get busy running their Shopify store when it's taking off successfully, they kind of need a marketing manager, someone to make emails, someone to work on graphics, someone to help put together a content calendar, work on SEO and that sort of thing. But to have one person full-time to, that could that has all of that knowledge base for their type of brand is quite a difficult order and it's probably going to be quite expensive as well. So what you know what people tend to do is they'll come to an agency like ours and um and they'll say, look, I'm able to build emails. I can do the photography, but I really need help with um, creating new landing pages or I need help with my paid marketing or whichever. And it it just it enables growth in areas where the customer or the client um, is you know, struggling to get things pushed forward. So it's mostly about scaling up. Is, is it a lot about that kind of they want to really kind of take what they've done that, that's worked well on a small level and sort of scale that up? And that's exactly why Shopify is good for this because you can test it out. I was at a funeral on um, Wednesday 
a mourner who I'd actually just met that day. She was talking about how she was wanting to set up this um, a wig company. And she was talking about it. She had all the products on the rest of it. She was, I just don't know how to... And within about 15 minutes of talking to her, we've got a partner dashboard. So I just set her up a development a shop, which there's no cost to do. So she can have a look through. She sent me a message back today, actually. And she's got some of the, you know, like the pictures uploaded and the products and all the rest of it. So from that conversation, she's able to just play. There's a mobile app that she can use to, to go direct. You know, you don't need to have a camera out and then add, upload things onto a computer and then and then edit them. You can just crop it on the app and it'll all work perfectly. Um, and she's wanting to sell through Instagram, obviously, uh, and the product catalogue on her Instagram, it's just one button to sync it and it's all the products pulled through so she can tag the product straight away. It's just, it's that ease and convenience. And then in a year's time when she's, you know, making a fortune and can't do it all by herself, then that's when she probably reach out to, to somebody to help with the other aspects and then improve the come back to you hopefully well let's see yeah plant some seeds and see how they uh see how they come back yeah um that's interesting that's really interesting that that yeah that that's um that's the kind of very typical trajectory for people so just to go back to those kind of typical optimizations like okay so let's say i'm a year or two in i've got a, a essentially a a boutique or from home kind of uh, e- e- you know e retail business, right? I'm selling st- I'm selling inventory from home, and I want to scale it. What are the levers that I've got to play with there that are going to take me into that next growth phase of my trajectory? There's a few different ways of uh, looking at it, and obviously there's there's paid and, and non paid, um, and then there's existing and uh, new customers to look into. Um, and website improvements to help with conversion. So one of the first things we do when, you know, and this is like sort of a quick win, but it's it's hopefully an opportunity to learn. One of the biggest things that a lot of companies don't have is live chat. And they'll, they'll they just don't, they think it's too much to, to handle or to worry about. Right now, particularly on Shopify, it'll be the same with other sites as well, but you can turn on and off live chat so the button doesn't show up if you're not available or if you're, at the weekend, you don't want it to show. It's absolutely fine. And you can have it on your phone. It's not, you know, you don't need to be sat at a desk with a headset on. And that will, you'll quickly find out if you've got problems with, you know, like sizing guides or if customers are asking the same questions again and again about deliveries or... But you identify those kind of points of customer confusion, essentially, things that you can improve. Exactly. And it's moving people further down the funnel. You know, you get a new customer to the site, okay? And then they say, you know, I can't find this information. I've had it myself and... It's annoying because you, you want to support small companies. So I'm into like camping and outdoors and that sort of thing. And I looked at buying something called a, I think it's called a pig fork, actually. It was a bit weird, but it's basically like um, a, a metal, like you won't be able to see this on the podcast, but a metal stick that comes out of the ground and then another one that you can hold like a pan over a fire with. And it doesn't say anywhere if the, it's just got a picture of the stick, but then it's photo, photographed together. So I've had to message them on Instagram to find out and they haven't got back to me on Instagram, unfortunately, but it's those touch points where you can find out quickly, right? Right. Okay. Well, why aren't people, you know, the conversion rates dropped down to two and a half percent where it was at four straight away. What aren't we doing right? Or what else, what other questions might people have? And it's those like FAQs and, and, and simple bits of information that you, sometimes you get so busy, you forget to, to think about the simple stuff um, and letting people know, the, the basics is is super super important 
Yeah, I think I've heard, I mean, in in sort of web user experience here, that referred to as friction, you know, and the real kind of top players in, in digital products. I mean, we're talking people like Spotify and Netflix, you know, they've gone to the nth degree in terms of removing friction. Every bit of friction that they can find, they've removed it. Um, so that it is as smooth as humanly possible to go and sign up, spend money and use and get value from their products. And you're right, you know, small businesses, they don't think about that. <laughs> like you say with your, you know, your product example, the, it just wasn't photographed in a way that gave you complete and total clarity and the ability to purchase on the spot, which you would have done. You would have just bought it right there and then, you know. Um, so, yeah, live chat is a great way to get that feedback. Any others? Any other kind of typical quick wins that you find come up regularly? One thing that we, if, if people are running paid advertising, so they're driving traffic from, um, you know, social, paid social, what we find sometimes is that people are driving, and I work predominantly in luxury, or we work predominantly in luxury goods as an agency, and they'll be driving customers or the, whoever was running the page before we take, take over will be driving traffic directly at product pages without letting the customer know what the brand's about, without giving any, you know, they'll just see like a high price tag and a, and a product next to it. And it, they don't understand why the value is there. And, and customers are getting more and more savvy and, and, and quite rightly deserve to know more about the ethics of the company or you know where the products come from and 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 what, what what exactly what the brand is is about um and so for a, a sort of quick win um we find is that creating landing pages instead of product pages so you'd create like i use the term advertorial so create a, a page that's got you know some brand information nice imagery but you've got links all the way through so if someone does want to click through and they're ready to click through straight to the products you're not, you know, you're not missing out that opportunity as well. But it means that when people have a read through, they'll be able to see like maybe part of the manufacturing process or part of the brand story or some other like useful information that's going to help them become a completely new person to the brand to somebody who's going to advocate for it and then become a brand fan. And that's, you know, that they customers and other people that are going to refer you to their friends and, and, and explain why they've, you know, spent slightly more, but they've got something that was made by, you know, a group that's really local or someone that's, you know, is helping a charity or social enterprise or something else. Um, and you find that once you give that information, the bounce rates go, you know, right down, the engagement rates for the users on the site go up and crucially conversion goes up as well. So I think that additional information and not just basically it's like whining and dining. You can't just go straight in and, and, and be like, buy, buy the product. It's more expensive. But you don't really know why, but if you, you know, if you went in and found the details, then you might find out why, but just um, show off that, that extra information. I think though, I think some people are under the misapprehension perhaps that e-commerce is this thing where it is just, it's a shop front and a load of product pages and you just tip money. You just literally tip a wheelbarrow of like ad spend money into one end and sales come out the other end and that it's a bit of a machine and it is a bit of a cold way of looking at it. And so, um, but brand is just as important. I mean, particularly in luxury, the sphere you work in, brand is so important, isn't it, with e-commerce? In general, it's getting more important, not just in luxury, but you see, we've seen a big shift in what would have been really average, like level products a few years ago. That people are really putting a good, you know, a proper brand together for 
everything from, you know, like a small pop-up pie shop or whichever else. And the, the online presence is good. They're creating a community with their social channels. They want, you know, people will be able to be part of the email list and you'll find out where they are next week. Or I saw a great one this morning. It's called um, Dusty Knuckles Bakery. Um, and they've, you know, they've got a van that goes around. It's all branded up. You can call them and ask them to come onto your street with the bread. And they've got this real engagement with customers. And and that's like, you know, if you think 20 years ago to a bakery, you just would never think that there'd be like a group of cool people in a converted milk float going around and turning up with this, you know, and then spending four pound on a loaf of bread. I don't know what it's like where you are, but the bread seems to be going up more and more as the days go by here. But yeah, it's that um, additional, you know, that it's been made around the corner by some people that, you know, you can sort of tell what the brand is and stands for and and it, you feel a lot better for spending money there. Yeah, you're right. And perhaps today's customer is more comfortable with spending more money and knowing some of that money, you're buying a kind of meta value. You know, it's not, there's nothing different in that loaf of bread. You know, you know that some of the value you're buying is outside of the loaf itself. And I think that's just a thing that, you know, I mean, personally, if if you ask me what one of the biggest trends in recent years is in marketing, it's this thing of purpose, your brand purpose and the, the why and um, yeah, people aren't just... And the storytelling. Yeah, because people want to know what they're sponsoring when they buy a product. Like, what am I sponsoring here? Am I sponsoring unethical practice, uh, environmental, um, you know, good or bad practice, etc.? So um, clearly, and I think with e-commerce, yeah, it's it's too cold a proposition to go, here's a product, here's the price, uh, you know, pay now, clearly. Um so that's that's interesting to hear your take on that. Okay, so uh, thinking about that kind of optimization bit a bit more, do you think if I again if I've got my shop, it's up and running, doing okay, should I be focusing on bringing in new traffic, or should I be focusing on getting more out of the visitors I already have through conversion rate optimization? Like where typically is the bigger gain to be had? Depending on the type of company, there's either a very long and re-engaging journey from a product perspective but for other companies there just isn't and you can obviously I think aftercare and you know being able to stay in touch with the customer hopefully get them to share um, a review or you know refer a friend programs or anything that's going to get their similar like-minded group of friends to hopefully come and spend money with your company is great. And that's if you're selling something like, say, a handbag or something that's kind of an, an individual piece. And when I say individual piece, hopefully this next section will um, explain what I mean a little bit better. So I used to work for a company called Heels um, as the brand marketing manager. And if you don't know Heels, it's a 200-year-old British heritage um, furniture interior store that's uh, based on Tottenham Court Road in London. They've got satellite stores around uh, the country as well. Um, and when we were working with them, or when I was working with them, if the customer journey can be set up very, very differently to buying a bag, and I'll give a quick example. So say if somebody's bought a sofa, you'd know what size sofa they bought, what colour sofa they bought, and then in the subsequent emails and social, you know, like re- re-engagement with um paid paid media 
You could look at um, things to dress up the sofa. So you could look at throws or cushions or anything that's going to, you know, go well with that. Maybe a side table. Um, another example would be a bed. So somebody buys a bed frame. You switch the targeting over to selling a mattress. If they bought a mattress, bed, new bed sheets or a new duvet or new bedside tables or a new bedside lamp or, you know, that, that's, that's a very, very different product that sort of then goes hand in hand with the next step. Um, where you can, and it's a lot easier to convert somebody who's already bought something at your store, providing they've had a good experience. But saying that, if people have had a bad experience, but then you've turned them around, they're much more likely to give you a good feedback and share to friends as well. So you can make a positive out of a negative in that, in that sense. So what you're saying is that your existing customers are a valuable resource in, in and of themselves. You've just got to get creative about what you can, you know, upsell them to or, um, you know, you, uh, get creative about how you segment that audience and tailor and personalise the messaging to them, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, and it might be that you need to add a new product or a product line or something else, you know, if you get to that point where you've, you're not able to continue the journey, you know, if you sell sofas and you've never thought about selling cushions because you sell sofas, but, you know, it's... That's another say, for example, but there's, you know, there's hundreds of of ideas. You know, if you're selling clothing, there's accessories. Or if you're selling coffee, there's coffee machines or equipment or whichever. Hello, a quick reminder from me that if you're enjoying our podcast series, why not become a member of the DMI so that you can enjoy loads more content from webinars and case studies to toolkits and more real-life insights from the world of digital marketing. Head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com forward slash ahead of the game sign up for free now back to the podcast and in terms of conversion rate optimization and people are always really interested in that myself included it's fascinating i mean just for starters what is the average conversion rate is you know across the board depending on what time of year and what industry is it does change a lot like a very lot um I'd say anywhere between two and a half and six and a half percent, depending on the type of product is, is, uh, you know, what would be average. So for like really desirable gift items uh, in early December or something, it would be much higher. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, or, you know, like one of our, we work with a, um, a florist, it's the florist at Liberty, they're called Wild at Heart. And if you look at like Valentine's Day or Mother's Day or Father, you know, it's just obviously you know this conversion it's 50 percent, or or you know sometimes the they can't keep up with demand it's um yeah, yeah. desperation buys when it's the the, the friday Desperate. before mother's day that that would be me oh, look, as a marketer though we, we prey on these late these late comers to the you know hit, hit, hit up with the you know same day delivery mm. offer or something else on the day yeah absolutely um then you'll jump the conversion rates um okay so if that's what you're working with that's still i mean that is a big range you know comparatively like two and a half if you double it that's five but it really it's quite a in an absolute terms it's quite a small range so how many times do you think on average someone has a touch point with a brand before converting you know how many times do people typically go back and look at products very much on average across the board um it's probably not just always the first time right is it a few times or yes uh, for for the type of companies that we work with, it's it's at least three times usually, with with the exception of 
probably the florist and any of the food companies that we work with who are like people are likely to be ordering for next day. Uh, sorry, going back to conversion rates quickly, the um one of the things that we 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 worked on which really had a positive impact with what um the floristry company was being able to book in the day that rather than saying next day delivery, it's been able to book in the day that works for you because you know, you might want them to arrive on someone's birthday or on. So rather than having to work back a day and then order the day before, which is another thing that seems simple now you say it, but so many companies don't offer like a calendared delivery for gifts. Um, so that's quite useful. Yeah, but and again, but again, that goes back to just stepping outside of your bubble and just thinking, what do customers want? And thinking like a customer for just a minute, and going through that journey, and um, and doing customer research, and you know, I suppose we've all got to do that to find out those little, just a small optimization like that, like you say, can can be transformative. But it's just how we find them, and it's really all about um, digging into the customer experience, trying to learn about it. So for the conversion rate optimization, which we we brushed on a couple of minutes ago. One of the things that we do when working with a new client, or, well, and then ongoing as well, is is heat mapping and customer tracking on site and working out a bit like we were saying with the live chat earlier on, finding out where if people are getting stuck or if people are adding to the car, then they're not sure if they're going back and checking on, read more detail, you know, like more details or t- trying to find the delivery on the footer, you know, delivery information on the footer or anything else. Um I mean, the heat maps and the and the customer tracking are super important. What tool do you use for heat mapping and customer tracking? We use Hotjar predominantly. Um, yeah, I can recommend Hotjar. And Hotjar's got a free plan as well. I think so. If you are, you know, I think this is the, the beauty of Shopify. There's you can you can buy. I think it's nineteen dollars a month is the cheapest plan, and you can do it from your phone. You could install. Well, you wouldn't want to install Hotjar f- from your phone, but you know, you can start. Actually, that's another point. If, if anyone's not used heat mapping before, it's basically the web page or um, mobile page. You um, get sort of heat spots of where people are clicking more or less. It'll go from blue to red, um, depending on how popular each, each section of the page is. And, and you can see how many people are going below the fold, which is onto the next page, basically. So if you've got a huge banner that blocks off half a mobile, then people have to scroll through further people's attention span isn't that high so it's better to you know pick up on these little nuances and and try and make the the customer journey better yeah no it's really really useful and and maybe it's just me my kind of voyeuristic tendencies or something but what i love about hotjar is so in the free plan you get 100 free recordings and you get to actually watch in real time like watch back people using your website and you get to see where their mouse is going if they're on a desktop and you get to see where they're scrolling and clicking around and I find that it's a bit like the live chat thing I find that's a great way to kind of uncover points of like confusion or frustration um, because you can tell where people are getting stuck or where they're you know what what information they're needing before they go and buy something and yeah I, I, I agree I think hot jars are great tool for kind of digging into the efficacy of your customer journey you know definitely um the, the other thing that it, it's useful for is if you're setting up something like a new home page and you've got two images and you're not sure which one it's kind of like split testing i suppose you know you can put a block with this you know the same link it might both be new in but you don't have to write new in on them but you could have like the image with the yellow 
background or you could have the image with the red background and then you'll be able to see which one people have clicked on more. And then you can use that information for, you know, your paid campaigns or for your email newsletter. Or if you're doing a billboard campaign, you'd know which colour is going to resonate better with people. And it's just about testing and getting to know what your customers react best to. Absolutely, yeah. Just in terms of like the marketing funnel, right? Talk me through how you think about the funnel. So how you drive top, middle and bottom of funnel activity with the key channels. And yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear you kind of your thoughts on that as a as a pro. Yeah, no, that's fine. So from, from a top end perspective, attracting new customers, unfortunately, um, it, we find that it's more cost effective and you get a much quicker upturn using paid media. So be that display advertising through Google or sponsored posts on um, Facebook and Instagram, you're going to get those new people to see your brand a lot quicker and you have the ability to sort of control what people see as well um, rather than relying on, I don't know, some of the more old-fashioned ways of, of driving people to your website. Yeah. So and we talking kind of quite broad audiences here, like, you know, demographic audiences like, you know, women aged between 18 and 35 in Manchester type audiences? Well, when I say audiences, yeah. So what we, well, what you would do or what we would do is um, have a look at the analytics. So providing you've got Google Analytics on your site, you should be able to check out and see the age group, the demographic and the location of people who are making transactions. So not people that are visiting the site, but people are actually buying. And you can use that information then to create a bit of a profile of who your customer is. Because we've seen this before in a couple of companies that I've worked with. They think that the customer is one type of person, and it really isn't. You know, you find that sometimes with luxury handbag brands or other people that we've worked with, it's a lot of men buying these gifts for their partners or buying for their friends or whoever rather than people buying for themselves in this particular instance I'm talking about. So it's kind of like it changes the dynamic of, you know, like they might not really care too much about something that you think that the end user cares about, but it's the journey that they need, you know, Will they like it? Will, they be, will you be able to send it back or get a credit note if they don't like it? You know, it's like you, you find out this information and then you can act on it and, and, and get the most out of it. Um, and then creating audiences, if you're, you know, using paid media and you've you've already got a customer base, Facebook's got the, the algorithm to crunch all of the data and create lookalike audiences. So they'll know if, you know, your type of customer, you know, shops at Waitrose, reads the independent goes to the cinema once a month it'll target those type of customers through the rest of the tracking network and you'll get a much stronger likeness um to just picking out say age groups and locations and that sort of thing um it's normally a lot more accurate so creating lookalike audiences based on the custom audiences of purchasers people who've purchased previously basically exactly yeah and if you were you know you could do that by you can if you've got a big enough database you could do it by like sale buyers so if you've got like a new product range that's you know much lower priced or if you've got a sale on and you know there's only certain type of person that waits till the sale then you can target those guys and then normally you'd be clearing out sales to bring the new product in so maybe you wouldn't want to target your your customers that you know will pay full price in two three four weeks time or however long it is that the sale runs for I think that's quite important. Segmentation is super important. You don't want to give the wrong message to the wrong person at the wrong time. 
Indeed. That's really interesting. Right, okay, so that's how you kind of really kind of at scale drive lots of people into the top of the funnel. Then what kind of stuff do you do further down? I mean, the dreaded pop-up email sign-up form, which everybody seems to hate, but it is, it is successful and it works and people do sign up and people do get the 10% off and people, you know, email is, I think, is getting a bad wrap at the moment and is still quite an important part of the marketing mix. Um, you know, we've seen it when, when we run Facebook ads, we'll normally run a test on email sign-ups and people will sign up and then they're part of that journey that you can control easily you know like you can send them the welcome information if they've opened it or if they've not opened it you can send different messages it's just um yeah i think it's, it's still super important for for email but then obviously once people are on the site a bit like what we were talking about earlier with the landing page that's got like the about the brand so it's not just people that have seen an instagram post or have seen a sponsored post or whichever someone that's come to the site and then they've spent a bit of time interacting with it and then hopefully if they've you know, like the product enough or spent enough time. And this is where you can get a little bit clever with um, the retargeting, which is, you know, the adverts that follow you around and you think you're being listened to. Um, if people have added to cart or if they've spent a certain amount of time on product page or if they've clicked more than, you know, five pages on the website, you know that they're going to be more likely to buy than somebody who just went on and then clicked straight off. Um, so they're the people that you want to, Yes. So creating custom audiences uh, of people who've, yeah, like you say, sh shown those kind of engagement markers, indicators on your website. Intent. It's any intent. Yeah. So and there's, there's no, numerous different ways of, of picking them out, but, you know, engaging with products, adding to cart, starting checkout. Um, we could do it by time, amount of clicks. Yeah. Whatever you think is suitable, because if you could, if you could imagine that, you know, if you've got like a high end use sports car you know you're going to get a lot of like teenage boys on there or whoever the demographic is for sports cars at the moment and then they're not going to be worth the money you know if they're aged under 18 well you can't really target to under 18s but you know if that if they if, if your customer is um a 45 year old sort of woman that lives in the commuter belt of london then there's not much point in retargeting to the the youngsters that probably are just aspiring to rather than actually going to hand over the readies. Yeah. Um, just to go back to something you said there, you know, you talked about the email, uh, the dreaded email pop-up. So do, do they work? Because we often, is, is, is the most common tactic, would, would you agree? It's the one I see. The most common tactic is the pop-up that says, get 10% off on your first order by giving us your email. Is that right? Do you know? I, I, no. Well, yes, but no. So I'm, I don't know if anyone else listening has this, but I will like, it's like a, like I don't even have control over the mouse. It just goes, even if I know I want the 10% off, I've, I've had to go into private browsers to try and re-get the, the sign up code back because I just shut them down. But you look at the statistics and you get, you know, an eight to 12% engagement rate of people signing up with those newsletters. So, you know, about one in 10 people do actually sign up and then you've got another opportunity to engage with them when they're not just on your website or just on social media, you know, you can send an email or... Um... So is it worth doing? If I've got a shop, would you advise me to do that? It depends what type of shop. And also, when we said pop-up as well, I think the thing that annoys people, and this is similar to the retargeting, the thing that annoys people is you go into a website and then after a second, you get hit with the thing and that's when you when you turn off. But if you've, you can set up now, 
custom um a custom journey so you'll only show the pop-up if someone's been on more than three pages for more than 30 seconds and have landed on a product page and then you'd say oh hi there would you like this delicious discount or a free whichever um and that's where it's like oh actually do you know what i do quite like maybe maybe not now but yeah go on sign up and it'll remind me or i'll i'm not quite ready to buy this yet but but do keep me up to date or if you've got a sale on or if there's something else um, that might be, you know, if it's something that's seasonal, you know, you might not be quite ready for it there and then. So yes, but done done smartly and in a kind of a less intrusive and uh, more charming kind of way, really. Exactly. I think people don't hate digital marketing. So if a product's following you around the internet and or suggested products are coming up and they're rubbish and it's, you know, it was something that your nan sent you by accident and you clicked on it and now you're getting targeted for a pair of, I don't know, hiking boots for forever. That's just lazy, sloppy marketing. You know, you can't, which which people don't like and which annoys people. But if, if I'm buying my own hiking boots and I get to check out and you see like, obviously Amazon, which I won't go into, but um, they're very good at this because they know, you know, they've got teams analyzing the data all the time. But if they say, oh, you know, 50% of the people who bought these boots bought these socks because they actually go really well with them. And you're like, do you know what? Yeah, I haven't got any hiking socks. Let's, let's have a think about, you know, if, it, if it's helpful and you're like, oh, actually, I hadn't thought of that. Or if you're buying something that you don't know too much about, say if you're buying, um, I don't know, a coffee grinder and you didn't know that you needed a certain blade that's not with it, you know, things like that that are helpful. People don't mind then, but it's the lazy marketing where you just blasted rubbish adverts all day. I think that people tend to dislike and it winds them up a bit. Yeah, no, indeed. Um, so, okay, you know, in in e-commerce, there's lots of talk about social ads and, and email and, and those kind of channels. Um, SEO doesn't get talked about very much. Does it play a role? <sighs> SEO... So whenever we build a site from scratch or whether when we do any updates, we always have an SEO plan in some capacity. It might be quite basic or it might be more detailed or it depends on the resources that you've got or how much people want to put towards it. But if, unless you're going to be like a, a headless or not even a headless, if you're going to be like selling just through Instagram and just using the website back end and not being found in search engines, which some people do and do well, that's about one of the few circumstances I can think of that you wouldn't need to be um, have some sort of SEO uh, on the site. People don't want to wait too long. People want to see instant reactions. That's why paid media is quite a good way of finding out quickly if something's going to work or not. You see the click-through rates. You can see if people are buying straight away. SEO is obviously a much slower or an organic way of people finding you that takes hard work and time but if you do it well and you've you know you've done a good job of it, you'll you'll reap the rewards. So if you've got a product that's not something that you can buy from you know thousands of other places, say if it was um I don't know a custom handmade barbecue. For, I don't know why I keep thinking about barbecue things. I must be hungry. Um, so if if you're one of the only people in a certain area or whichever that does that, then SEO is going to be more helpful to you than if you sell white socks, which could be a baseball team or it could be, you know, or then there's thousands of shops that are selling it. And you're competing with like, you know, Uniqlo, 
Topshop and Nike, Adidas, all the big players that you're never going to beat in search anyway. Um, yeah, that's true. But is it is it about but is it about optimizing product pages and shop pages, or is is your job for your clients ever about creating content specifically for uh, SEO, essentially, so like helpful article or content or resources that aren't directly product pages? Yeah, I'm glad that you sort of rephrase that then because I don't think you should ever really write solely for SEO. Like, I think that the the content needs to sort of add value to the customer and and be useful. One of my least favorite phrases in marketing is SEO content. That just that's just a hellhole of just keyword stuffed crap. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you on that. Um, it needs to be, you know, content that's making the internet and um, a better place and that is useful to someone, right? But Google's getting better at reading and. You know, they'll suss you out if you're just keyword stuffing and writing stuff to try and... I mean, there was all the black hat SEO. You don't, you don't hear about it too much anymore, but, you know, buying backlinks and keyword stuffing and all that sort of thing. Google has a clamp down every few months on things that aren't, you know, necessarily helpful for the the end user. And they'll just, you know, remove your pages from page one and and, and cast you aside until you fix the, the, the cheat or whatever it was that you did to um, try and fool the system. And so, so do you create content and resources outside of product pages much for your clients whenever we make content for a client we try and make it as usable as possible so if we'll do um a blog or a um an article blog article whatever a piece of content on a website and it will help answer questions and it will demonstrate you know it'll have a purpose so it might be the um the the new uh, collection that's launched it's like what the design influences were you know some information on the colors that were picked out you know why this has been a hot color for the season or whichever um something about how it was made maybe some of the ethics and the um, responsibility that the brand has and then what what we'll do is that will be you know seo have an seo frame to it but not be written just for search so um so yeah so make it readable and, and, and answer a question that people might have and then once you've got that content host it in an email link to it from your um social link to it from a product page if it's going to answer some questions because if you're going to make something make it good it's best to make good things you know at half the rate than it is to just keep splattering out things that are just here today gone tomorrow and i think answering questions is the first thing that you need to look at um but always try and have an seo yeah, consideration, of course. You want it to be found. If it's good, you want it to be found. I mean, in content marketing, you hear it referred to as like the informational need. Like what's the informational need of that target audience, that profile like you talked about, you know, when you find out who the buyers are, like what keeps them up at night? What what do they think about? What do they wonder about? What's going on in the back of their heads? And what are they wondering about in relation to your industry, your products, um, the lifestyle that your products are part of and all that, you know? So um, absolutely, you know, that's make it really good and then also make sure that it's, you know, it's, it gets found so that it's, it's you know, it's, it was worth it was worth creating in the first place. Worth the effort, yeah. Because that's the other thing. It, I think everyone's so busy and there's always another social platform or something else that you can do to spend your time. And this is the same with photo shoots as well. If you can try and think about being as efficient as possible with what you're creating and make as much use out of it as possible, then 
you're going to see the value a lot more. So if you've got a photo shoot set up, say if there's a campaign shoot going on, if you can get a second shooter capturing close-up details and like behind the scenes shots and anything else that's going to be able to be used, you could, you know, maybe create a blog out of it. You could use it for social, you could post it in an email, or if there's, you know, other um, images that weren't, you know, like the, the main campaign images, they might be good for the product page or they might be good to show like scale or there's loads of, you know, like different different ways of getting more value from from whatever you do. But if you're making something, make it good and, and be proud of it and, and try and get as much use out of it as you can. Right. So we've talked about the funnel, but how it, right down the bottom of that funnel, how do you see the most successful e-commerce brands drive loyalty and grow the lifetime value or the LTV, you know, of their customers? It's, it's a bit twofold, the, the answer, because generally people across the board are a lot more swayed by price than they were. People were less loyal to everything from banks to supermarkets. You know, it used to be that people would, you know, they'd have their childhood account at RBS and they'd have it with, until they had their pension. But now, obviously, there's a lot more choice. You know, and it's things like Shopify that are enabling small people to try out their passion or, you know, whichever, and 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 give it a go. And then they'll grow and then they'll take on these other bigger brands that, that, that then maybe, you know, you, you don't want to shop at Mulberry, you know, you want to shop at someone that's making it locally or, you know, whatever the reason might be. Um, and I, I think to do that, there's a lot of touch points that you can work with to make sure that customer feels valued. And this is both pre-purchase, during and after purchase as well. The way things are delivered, you know, if you, I won't name the bad delivery firms, but we can all think of a few. If you're sending out, you know, a luxury product or, or any product really in incorrect, in pack, you know, like not really fit for purpose packaging and it's been left in a wheelie bin and, you know, there's no tracking code and you didn't get a, you know, you weren't asked how the product was for you. It's all these individual little touch points where they'll say next time, all right, maybe I won't go with you again. Maybe, you know, it wasn't that great. I had to chase up on the phone. I didn't get an, um, a confirmation email. I didn't get whichever else. So it's, if you can look at all these different aspects that you've got loads of control over and find out, and I think a lot of it as well, and it goes back to the live chat, it's, you know, ask the questions, is there anything we can do to help you? Because at the end of the day, without the customers, you've got nothing. You know, you might have the best font on the whatever, but, you know, if people aren't buying and people aren't supporting you, then you're not going to last very long. Um, and looking after people, make sure they feel valued. And you can do that in a number of ways. I mean, People don't respond. I mean, obviously, if there's a sale on or you have a clear out, then great, you know, reduce the prices. But is there something, you know, if someone spends more than a certain amount of a threshold at your company, it might be £100 or it might be £10,000, depending on what the product is. You know, you could offer like a handwritten note or you could offer something that they can't buy, you know, like a personalised bracelet. I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. Or a pen or, you know, something that's that isn't necessarily like a financial engagement but it's something to be like yeah we really appreciate you and then obviously like most most of our clients have like a vip list of customers who will shop time and time again and they will be personally contacted by if well whatever their preference is so whatsapp email phone call when there's new products launching and they'll say oh you know well because you bought these other items what do you think about you know this would match with those trousers you bought last summer or these colors look really good on you last year you know like They've changed. They're a little bit more muted now. We think this will go better with your skin tone or 
you know, whatever. But there's loads and loads of ways that you can make people feel special and valued. And that's the difference. You know, you're not going to get that at Marks and Spencer or wherever else. And that's why, you know, you've got a really great opportunity to put yourself across and, you know, be there for the customer and, and find out. And you'll find out a lot more information that way. And if you can use that information to your benefit, and then if, you know, customers say, oh, it was great, but, you know, we, you know, we all work on a Saturday because we, you know, you, you you sell bar equipment and we all work in the bar on the set or whatever. So it would be better, but you close on a Sunday when we're not working or, you know, whatever. You'll find out these bits of information. If you can, you know, use use the information to, to help you um, make decisions on the website and improve the overall customer journey. And that's it. The Kaizen is a great phrase for that. It's a Japanese term. And it just basically means continual improvement. It's going to take time. It's going to be a hard graft. So, you know, people see these overnight success brands that have been going for years and years and years, but then they'll be popular. And it's because they've, you know, they've done all of these things and spent time on it. Yeah, there are no overnight successes. They're just new to you. They're not new to the world. They've been at it for years of hard graft. <laughs> yeah. It's true, isn't it? It's funny that. Um, all right, last question. Um, th- thanks so much for your time. This has been really, really useful, really fantastic. If I was starting my own online shop tomorrow and I asked you for five must-do optimization or marketing tactics that I must consider in short, what would they be? I think testing is one of the big important ones, and that's testing everything. So imagery, copy, subject lines, colorways, paid marketing especially. Yeah, and never stop testing, right? And that's it. You know, run split tests on adverts with different images, with different, you know, different copy, different captions, different titles, and find out because... And, and, and like you said, never stop testing because, you know, it might be that it's a sunny week and that's why the the cool, refreshing drink look better. But now it's, cha- you know, like you need to constantly be adapting and changing and, and finding out what people really, really want. Okay, testing. Yep. Yeah. Any other tips? I, I suppose I obviously from a branding background, but the importance of setting out your brand and, and you know, do the research at the start and don't, I think don't, let it become a, an obsession and you're so worried about launching because you want to get everything completely right. I'm not saying to go completely overboard, but I do think that spending a bit of time looking at competitors, researching colorways and, and what you want to stand for from the start is going to be a lot easier than trying to like sort of shoehorn things in afterwards. Um, so I'd say, yeah, get your, your initial brand kit uh, together before like sort of stepping foot into what you're doing. And it doesn't need to be huge, but, you know, pick a font, pick a colour scheme, have a logo made. There's hundreds of designers that will be able to do, you know, a reasonably priced logo um, and, and then and then start off on the right foot. You see a lot of brands that you're trying to tie them back together because they've changed bits and, they've, and it just it looks completely um, unsynchronised and there's no consistency. That's So that's one of the, the main points. The must do is... Uh, consistency be consistent you know have the same bags have the same postage terms have the same you know like keep it right let people know what they're getting one thing that we often audit when when we're working either with a new client or we won't audit but we'll talk about when we're setting up a new website is how people are going to browse the site and what type of customer they are so some people will know will have seen the product on instagram and they'll want to go to a search bar and they'll type in the product name 
other people might be looking for a gift. They'll want to browse. So it's having that journey sort of planned out. So if you've got, you could do by gender, you could do by size, you could do by, you know, um, material or whatever it is, but make sure that you've got the collection set up that have got these products that are of these, you know, it could be by price, you know, someone's, if it's a gifting website, then, you know, people will want to know, oh, well, you know, I only want to spend up to £25 or, you know, I want to spend over £500 or whatever it is. But remember that people are going to browse your site via the search bar, via the navigation. So make sure that's really consistent, really clear um, and visually. So, okay, I see that this section says new in or this section says uh, outdoors and, you know, you want indoor furniture, then you'd know to not click on that one. Um, my final point, actually, and this probably should have been number one, so many, and we get it from, you know, we work with designers sometimes. If people have got their own sort of graphic designer, they'll come up. And I reckon 90% of the time people come to us with a desktop layout of the of the website. Guys, we've we've made the switch. We're mobile first now. Start thinking about how people are going to come to you with mobile how people are going to browse on mobile. Think about how the images are laid out. When you're shooting products, are you going to shoot it um, landscape or are you going to shoot it square? Are you going to shoot it portrait? Like what works for mobile? Because it's no good having a, you know, a beautifully designed desktop site if 70% of people are going to be on mobile. That's really, really important. And something that people, I think when people are working on a computer or working on a laptop, they assume that everyone else who's browsing will be, but it's just not the case. It's true. It's hard to break free from because we're all working at our desks doing this stuff and yet we we just don't put mobile first and we do live in a mobile first world, like you say, yeah. So, um, okay, well, thanks. Uh, James, thanks so much for that. Thanks so much for your time and your knowledge. It was really, really insightful. I feel like I've learned an awful lot. No, thank you. Um, I feel, I feel like I think I might spend the weekend setting up a shop. Uh, do it. <laughs> I should do. I'll set one up for you. Yeah, thanks. Um, well, just one last question for you. Where can our listeners find you online, website and social media, etc.? It's uh, it's www.8thdial.com uh, with the number eight. Yeah, or it's 8th Dial um, on Instagram. Or you can email me. It's james at 8thdial.com. Well, thanks again. Thanks for your time. Yeah, take care. Thanks very much. Thank you. I'll speak to you soon. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about transforming your marketing career through certified online training, head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com. Thanks for listening.